Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Hi, and welcome to the Sustainable Century Solutions Podcast. Today, we're with a uh, longtime community development expert, Alan Okagaki. He's spent 40 years trying to make community development work, uh, primarily in the area of community development finance, but he's dabbled pretty much in every corner uh, of community development in the United States. Welcome, Alan. Hi, I'm glad to be here. You're speaking uh, from Bozeman, Montana, right? No, we're in Missoula. Yeah, well, well, the reason why it's, it's 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 relevant. Well, there are a couple of reasons why it's relevant, but the first and most important is that uh, Bozeman has something like 140 or 150 uh, COVID cases, and Missoula's got 34. So the hot spot in uh, Montana has been the Bozeman area. Yeah, I, I wanted to start by asking you, Alan. Uh, if you could define community development for us, because a lot of people are, aren't that familiar with what the term implies. And, and also, given it's an intuitive appeal, I mean, everybody wants to be in the communities that they self-define themselves into. Why hasn't the concept of community development flourished more than it, it might have? Okay. So the, the first problem is that you talk to uh, 20 different people uh, and ask them, what's your definition of community development? You'll get about 48 different answers. Uh, and um, yeah, and obviously you've worked uh, much more internationally. My experience is almost entirely in the, in the States, but uh, you know, in the States, uh, unfortunately, community development has been sort of narrowed down to a set of very particular things, like it's affordable housing, it's, uh, small business development. It's uh, uh, certain types of services being delivered uh, through community-based organizations. And um, so what's happened in, in the States, I think, is that uh, you sort of lost the, uh, the forest for the trees. Um, there's no sort of overarching, or there's less of an overarching conception of, of community development and mostly a, you know, a focus on, on these things, which people identify with, uh, with community development. Uh, but to more directly answer your question, um, I think in the United States, you've got three issues. One is the lack of the overall, over, or the loss of the overall conception of community development. And the second and third thing are, um, are people and money. Community development requires talent and there isn't enough talent in the field and it requires money and there's not enough money in the field. Well, those are two pretty big barriers. I'm just wondering, though, you know, a lot of millennials now are purported to, you know, want to have a purpose-driven life. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think that that would uh, attract a lot of good talent to community development projects? Well, I think, I think it's true as far as, as millennials being really, really attracted to it. And uh, I'm thinking particularly about my 19-year-old my granddaughter, who you'll love this, um, is an environmental studies uh, major at uh, um, University of British Columbia uh, in Vancouver. Well, that's my alma mater. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, she's going to go on from there and get a master's in management so she can specifically do community development sites, sorts of things in the sustainable uh, 
sustainability field. Um, I think it does have a, a, a really, really strong um, uh, intuitive uh, uh, attraction. I mean, who is, well, I was going to say who is against community, and obviously there are people who are not all that big into, uh, into community. Um, but I, I think it just appeals to uh, a very, very um, basic, fundamental human desires for uh, community. Um, you know, on the other hand, it has uh, elements of, of action and doing things and sort of the intrigue of business and, and, and entrepreneurship. But I think that's a, uh, because basically, I mean, I, I, what I think of as, as community development um, generally has some type of an aspect, which is a little bit more uh, entrepreneurial than just straight, uh, straight service delivery. So it ends up uh, appealing, I think, to, to certain people who like to initiate um, in different ways in a more entrepreneurial fashion. And what I would say about the, um, the talent thing, um, that there's insufficient talent uh, in, the, uh, in the field, is just that it does require um, a combination of, of head and heart. Uh, it requires a combination of practical skills and visionary skills. It requires uh, an element of, of creative uh, problem solving. I mean, you can't just BS your way through there. You got to actually start things which actually work. <laughs> the, the creative element is, is, is really, really uh, important. I mean, if you're going to do it right, um, I mean, the thing about community development is you have to absolutely tailor uh, to, uh, to a situation. And you've got uh, a problem, you have um, a certain set of resources which are, are finite, um, and you often have to navigate your way through uh, political uh, sorts of, of issues. There are resource constraints. Uh, it's really trying to you know, weave your way through a, a fairly complicated little landscape. Yeah, and as you you know you point out, it's a very complex uh, set of issues that you have to deal with. A lot of people don't understand really what goes into all the different things that go into a good, solid community development program, from finance through to service delivery. Well, that's the other thing which happens in community development is you want to look at things in holistic ways, which means that uh, your solutions aren't just we're going to do thing A, we're going to do thing A plus thing B plus thing C plus thing D. Thing D. And so we're going to provide affordable housing. We're going to create space for uh, businesses. We're going to have an incubator to start businesses. We're going to put in the financing component, but people can't read. So we're also going to have a literacy program in there. And sooner or later, <laughs> you end up with the complicated mess. I wanted to circle back to something that you mentioned at the outset, which was uh, people are starting to, well, lose the concept of what community development should be all about. I mean, why is that actually the case? I think that it's become uh, more professionalized and, and more technically uh, sophisticated. And so if you were to take uh, community development finance, in say the year um, 1980 or even 1990, uh, what you have is um, loan funds uh, being started by uh, political science majors who not only don't know accounting, but probably can't even add and subtract and can't even balance their checkbook, but are more than happy to um, um, 
uh, raise some money and throw, out, throw them out there um, in the form of loans and they go to the office supply st uh, store and then find out that yes, indeed, uh, they'll sell you, um, a, you know, a tablet of promissory notes and you just fill in the boxes and there's your loan documentation. Um, and that sort of worked when you were talking about um, uh, managing uh, $25,000 going out in $500 loans. And now you have uh, organizations which are managing hundreds of millions of dollars of capital. Uh, they're getting them from um, banks, government, and people who've got you know, serious reporting requirements. Uh, if you screw up, uh, the consequences um, are severe. And so you have to put pretty sophisticated stuff uh, into place. And uh, you start hiring uh, people who've got uh, 25 years of experience in the finance industry um, and uh, are attracted to the cause, but they didn't sort of grow up um, with community development. Like you started out with, can we create a community garden in this empty lot on, on this block? <laughs> Well, yeah, of course, when we started, everybody was doing it that way. And, and it had a big effect on how we approached community development. That's for sure. Right, right. You know, and yeah. Um, and you haven't gone through the experience of um, sitting in a, a church basement with a bunch of angry people uh, complaining. And you're saying, well, we try. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that the biggest transition, um, or one of the biggest transitions in the, in the field is um, if you look at, at my generation and older, uh, none of them, or very, very few of them came in there with, with technical expertise, but they came in it with um, uh, much more of an intuitive sense and experience in, in working with pe different people and working uh, in communities and sort of developed the skills as they went. And now um, there's there's less of that and part of it's necessity, necessary because the, the skills required to do this business at that level of scale and sophistication it just requires a, a different skill set well we're going to want to come back circle back to this theme a little bit more but let's take a small break uh, and listen to a slice of big yellow taxi that's the uh, Joni mitchell song but covered by the counting crows uh, with Joni's prescient words from the 1970s you don't know what you've got till it's gone and charge the people a dollar and a half to see them No, 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 don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got till it's gone You'd be in paradise and put up a fucking lie
Well, that was uh, Yellow Taxi by Counting Crows, uh, the covering Joni Mitchell's uh, famous song. Uh, and we're here with Alan Okagaki. He's a community development expert, 40 years in the field, particularly in finance, but in every other corner of community development that you can imagine. Well, we were talking a little bit about the lost concept of community development and I was just wondering you know with the stay at home or stay in place uh, lockdown that we're experiencing now from uh, coronavirus over the last almost month or so depending on where you are uh, it's got a lot of people going back to doing things that they love to do uh, relearning or learning musical instruments doing a little bit of gardening that sort of stuff well do you think that there is any chance of people understanding community better and what they value doing in life and and maybe throwing uh, the rat race out once we get back to whatever becomes normal after the coronavirus. God, I hope so. <laughs> uh, you know, um, that's hard to say. Uh, so probably the most recent... Um, crisis of this dimension or approaching this dimension would have been the, the financial crash of 2008. And I'm not sure, uh, and, and there was definitely lessons learned, um, which held for a few years afterwards. People were saving more money. Um, banks were accepting the fact that, yes, indeed, maybe there needed to be more regulation to curb the stuff which got us into trouble in the first place. But I mean, I think if you look now, 10 or 12 years after, um, you know, it's, uh, I think the lessons are being, being consistently ignored. Um, there's a part of me which I, I don't, well, well, first of all, I have no idea what the world is going to uh, look like what the ramifications are of this. Um, I, I, I just, I just think they're going to be huge. I don't necessarily mean in terms of lessons learned, but I just, um, I mean, how are all these businesses going to start, uh, start up again? I mean, I, I don't know what the consequences are going to be, but I just think that they're going to be huge. But don't you think there's a chance that people are going to reassess, you know, actually what gives them value in life uh, as a result of, of being at home with their loved ones and doing things that they've loved in the past uh, instead of, you know, racing from one thing to the next, uh, just trying to cover the bills? Um, again, God, I hope so. Uh, uh, so... I let's let, so let me let me let me think about how, how this how this plays out. I, I think basically it's going to uh, affect um, people who have resources and people who don't have resources um, differently. I think uh, people who have have resources uh, and now are having to um, spend more quality time with their loved ones or to focus in on. Uh, particular hobbies or interests or are going to get serious about gardening or playing music. Um, uh, I, I, I think that uh, there is a change uh, or there's, there's the opportunity for, uh, uh, for change in, in how they go about uh, living their lives. What I worry about are the people who are on the margin. 
And I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I think it's like 40% of, of the people, households in the United States have uh, 30 days or less of, of savings. And you're stuck in the rat race. And when they, basically when the rat race gets turned on, um, I'm not sure if they've got the luxury um, to be able to start living their lives um, uh, differently. And again, I don't know what the percentage is, but uh, that, that's where my concern is. There's a lot of people that uh, think now that Andrew Yang is probably right, providing people with some sort of you know base income on a monthly basis so that they don't have to sweat and worry about where everything's coming from. I mean, I don't disagree with that. I mean, you look at the $2 trillion plus dollar, uh, stimulation program and, and the, the GOP in the Senate were complaining that uh, people were going to make more money. People who worked for minimum wage were going to make more money from the stimulus package than they would have otherwise. And I, I just don't get that. Why, why was that a problem? I mean, maybe I'm just a socialist from Canada. Yeah, well, I guess in that case, I'm a socialist from Missoula, Montana. Uh, it, it is crazy. Um, I frankly think there's a very, very good chance um, this all falls apart uh, sometime over the next 10 years. Um, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if you see essentially the United States uh, execute some form uh, of a breakup between um, blue states and, um, uh, and red states and um, people who have some understanding of what life looks like um, if you're not rich and privileged um, versus those who do have an understanding. So um, in that sense, uh, I think that the, uh, the and, and, and the other things which are going to end up happening are um, America's um, uh, standing in the world is going to uh, decline further. Um, um, we're going to have more trouble putting our economy back together than, uh, than other countries. So we're not going to be as much of a, of a dominant uh, economic force. Um, our total lack of leadership on, uh, on an international level with, uh, with, with COVID uh, will further uh, the diminishment of America's standing in the world. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the implications are huge. There's no doubt about that, Alan. Hey, listen, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and speaking with us today. And maybe we can come back and talk again in a few months and, and see what happens. Hopefully, things will work out for all Americans and, and all people around the world in the best of possible ways that it can. So thanks again. You've been listening to the Sustainable Century podcast. You can catch a text exchange between Alan Okagaki and myself on the theme of community development uh, on the blog. It's not a transcript, so check that out at the sustainablecentury.net. You can also check out lots of different podcasts and a few video casts, other experts in all things sustainable. Have a great weekend. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of the Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out the Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world.